Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So, like Sean said, the topic is still similar, but sometimes I, you know, I think I've probably told you guys this, but when I first started teaching, I was trying to create my messages like Sean does, and at some point, God laughed and said, I'm going to give you three points, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures, or a couple examples, and that's what you're going to teach. And he didn't let me like write it out. Like Sean has his written out and he can like, like he can then just kind of share it. And mine is a little bit more like as we're doing worship, I'm like, how do you want me to start the message? Because you haven't told me. Like, so, <laughs> so when I start messages, like, honestly, I, I like to say I'm reliant on the Lord is, is very true. But today was a little bit even different because I really felt good about this message that I was preparing on Thursday. Like I spent Wednesday and Thursday and I was just like, I could feel the breath of God in it. And then as I came in, he was like, yeah, but I want you to look up this scripture verse and this word. And it shifted, it shifted the point. And I think that it's going to be really good if I can make it clear. But we've been talking the last couple weeks on the LGBTQ, our the way that we respond to it as, as harvest, but really what we believe is the biblical response to it. If you have not heard those last two messages, Sean has gone through the scriptures and he has shown us what we believe and really just the, the emphasis was that God does say that it's sin, but he puts it in with all of the other sins. It cannot be maximized by us, right? It's put in there right next to liars. Who has lied in this church ever, no, like in the church, but like in your life, have you lied? You know, that was one of the things that I was really good at. I was very manipulative as a young kid. I learned my oldest sister was um, kind of in your face. She's a very strong personality. And so when she would combat with my dad, she would go nose to nose. I learned that that was not the good way to do it. And then my middle sister was perfect. And I also learned that that was boring. And so I became sneaky. I was really good at maneuvering and manipulating the system to get what I wanted, right? Is one of these worse? Like my middle sister was, she was, she really, she like, she just wanted to be good. Like she loved the Lord with everything in her and she, she still is, she's a rule for, she's a teacher, right? So she was always like, Misty, you can't say G's. That's like saying Jesus and you're going to go to hell. And I'm like, go away. Like, you know, that, like, that was how I was raised, you know. But I, I grew up with this place of kind of going, okay, I don't want to be just outright rebellious. But in me, it needs to be expressed. And so I was sneaky, you know. And, and so I was really good at lying. Not full lies, just partial lies. Just enough to make it work for me. I was really good at it. The Bible says that that is right next to it, right? Like liars don't inherit the kingdom of God, right? Man, if I maximize one sin and discount another, we've got a problem. 
right? And as Christians, we have to make sure we, first of all, know where we stand, but that when we do address it with the world, we can do so with grace and with the fear of God, knowing that my sin, the stuff that I have struggled with or am struggling with, is just as ugly to the Lord as what the person that we're talking to is struggling with, right? My grace meter needs to be high because it's by grace that we are saved, but it's also the, the empowerment to move somebody from a place of sin and into a place of freedom, right? And so if I come in with law, I'm not enabling them and giving them the power that they need to move from sin of any kind into freedom, okay? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, does that make sense? Okay, you guys were very quiet. All right, <laughs> do I need to repeat this? Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not going to be talking about the rest of the scriptures. Or I don't believe that Sean and I plan to actually go through the rest of the scriptures. He has an entire series. If you guys want to know every single scripture breakdown that talks about homosexuality, um, he has a series called I Love Gays. It was done several years ago. You are welcome to go to it. It's on our podcasts. So, and I don't know if it's a video or if it's just audio. I think it's just audio because it was before we had video. So um, you're free to go and kind of finish going through every single scripture that the Bible talks about. He breaks it down, talks about, you know, the different culture, what, you know, what the world says about it, what, you know, what exegesis does and what it comes with, you know. But really the last two weeks, he's done a pretty good job of setting the baseline for what the scriptures say about this. Today, I am going to kind of shift gears just a little bit because as I was prepping for this message, I really felt like the Lord put a full stop on me and said, hey, but first you have to address a lie in the culture because the culture has began to creep into the church, right? And there are some things that we believe that aren't the truth, but we think that they are because it's what has been ingrained in us, pumped into us by everything that we listen to and watch and learn, right? And it's really this. It's talking about love. I have a couple of, of quotes. The first one is, love is a feeling, not a decision. We can't help who we love. And then the next one is this. I just feel like when you fall in love, you can't help who you fall in love with. Your love, you love who you love, and it is what it is. And the last one is, you can't help who you fall in love with. It's beyond your power. Love just happens. Right? So, so we've all had these moments. You know, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you guys have found yourselves attracted to somebody who was not healthy for you? Or you know somebody who has found themselves attracted to somebody who they're not good for, right? And we find what, that, what, what happens, and we, you know, and here's the other thing, like, teenagers are kind of prone to this, but all of us are, and if you look around you, don't look around you at the people around you, but like, think through the people in your families, and go, how many of us started dating somebody, and within a week or two thought we were fully in love? Fully head over heels in love. We just think, like, we're telling them that we were in love. We just think that, like, we love them. In two weeks' time, you don't know their character. You don't know what they look like when they're angry. You don't know what they look like when they first get out of bed. 
You don't know what they look like when they're happy or when they're sad. You don't know what they're struggling with. You don't know what makes them like joyful or what makes them depressed, right? Like you don't know them. What you know is that you are attracted to them and that when you're around them, you enjoy their company. But what has actually happened in your mind is you've created that person in your mind, right? We have, like, how many of you guys, when you were first starting to date, you saw somebody from a distance and you thought you knew who they were by the way that they acted from a distance? You never actually talked to them, but you have an entire thought. Like, you guys probably do that about Shauna. You have an entire picture of who you think we are, how we are at home, how we respond to each other. You guys have a picture, right, of who we are. But the moment you come into my home you're going to start noticing that things start getting broken down, right? Like, you're like, oh, I thought you would have acted like this, but you actually act like this. I didn't realize that Sean was going to fart at the dinner table. I thought he was the perfect pastor, right? Yeah, look at him. He's like, I taught all my boys to do it too. You know, like, like you don't, people don't think of us as real humans. You know, how many of us, when we were little, we didn't think that a teacher ever actually was outside the school? Right? And when you, as a kid, you see them outside the school, we're like, whoa, what are they doing? They shop? They eat? They go to Walmart? Like, like what is this? And the, your perspective of that person begins to shift, right? Because you just got to know them a little bit more, right? Love looks like something, but our culture says that we fall into it, right? Chris Valton has always said, if you fall into love, you can fall out of it, Right? So if we fall into love, what's going to hold us there? You know, and, and the world says love is love, which really just means that I define it for myself, and you define it for yourself, and you get to define it for yourself, and whatever love is to you is what it is. Right? That's what the world says. The world says it's a force, and it kind of just picks you up, and it drops you into, into relationship with somebody and says, you must love this person. You have no control, no authority. This is just the force of nature dropping you into some relationship. Guys, I've been married for 25 years. I love Sean. He's amazing. And we've been best friends for 27 years. Right? But love is a choice. It's not always a floaty feeling that makes you happy. Amen. It's not always chemistry. Chemistry comes and goes. Hard life hits. They don't respond like we think they should. They don't respond like you think they need to. Your heart gets hurt. It has to deal with that. You have to choose to love. Love is a choice, right? When you've been married or been in any relationship for a long time, you know that love it as a feeling, if we just view it as a feeling, it ebbs and flows. And the culture right now says that as it ebbs and flows, we just ebb and flow with it. So why get married? You just live with that person until you're no longer in love, and then you move out, and then you live with another person until you're no longer in love. And what happens is you find yourself floating through life, searching for something that's going to last, but the force of love just moves you as it wishes. It's not joyful. It's not steady. It's not secure. It's not safe. It's scary, and it's traumatizing. And every time it picks up, maybe, it, maybe love just leaves your partner. 
and you still love them and it's still there with you, but it's not with them, right? And then you're, you're broken, you're like destroyed because love just chose to separate, right? It just floated off to the next person. If we live like that with that cultural mindset, guys, we are broken and lost. And that's where the world is, they're broken and they're lost. I'm not gonna talk a lot about the LGBTQ today. Everything I say has its roots in there, like because it's part of the lost world, right? But I'm talking to Christians today because I think we need to understand that first of all, we're not of the world, right? We're in a different kingdom. And we cannot live our lives based on another kingdom, but we also can't expect that other kingdom to live their life based on our rules, right? If they don't know Jesus, they're going to let love be the force. Does that make sense? Because, because really, when you don't know Jesus, you practice idolatry on an everyday basis because you are God. Everything I want, I follow my needs, my desires, everything that I am, just I do what I want, right? And when, I, when I'm frustrated, I get mad and I scream at people. They shouldn't have done that, you know? And when I, and, you know, and when I want to do this, I do this. And when I want to do that, I do that. And I am controlled by myself, by self, right? And I am enslaved to doing the things that I might not like, but I have no control or authority because I'm enslaved, enslaved to sin. Does that make sense? But I am worshiping self because I'm living by the impulses of my own desires. Does that make sense? That's really important because these people are enslaved. They have no choice to follow the desires of whatever is happening in the world, either by the world on the outside or by their internal governing. They're constantly being yanked and pulled, and the picture of it is really just they have a, a thing around their neck, and they're being pulled every which way, and they don't know which way is up, right? So I'm not going to try to argue with anybody who says, I was born this way, this is who I am, because let's be honest, we're born into sin, right? So were they born homosexual? They were born into sin, right? So whatever that needs to look, I don't know. I'm not going to, I don't know the genetics. So I don't, I haven't done research on all that. I'm not going to jump into that and say for anything. I'm just saying we're all born into sin, right? And so we all come out of the womb with different reasons, different ways of brokenness and different sinful patterns that are found all written throughout the New Testament, and we are enslaved to them. So whether they were born into, into homosexuality or not, they were born into sin, right? We all started right there, right? We weren't born into Christ. We were born into sin. And so they are governed by their sin. They are held hostage. They are, they are trapped. Everybody is trapped, not just LGBTQ. Every person that doesn't know Jesus is trapped, Okay? Whatever their vice is, they have it. It's, they're trapped. Here's the thing. We get born again, and something happens. Oh, I want, I want to make sure this is... Um, I have a, 
slide that says lie, if you want to pop that one up for me. This is really important. The lie is this, when it comes to love being a feeling, that I have no choice but to obey my feelings or my heart. My feelings are my master and my identity. And the very last one's really important. When I deny my feelings, I'm denying my true self. There is a cultural push right now that says to deny my feelings is to deny self, which would be sin towards self. Okay? There's, there's a cultural push that says if I deny my feelings, then I'm denying who I was and who I am. And to do that is sin to myself. Right? The Bible has something a little bit different to say. And it's really good news. Like, it's, it's really hopeful. It's beautiful. I want to, I'm, I had so much, like I had like 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about all this, but I just want to say this. The culture has twisted the scripture a little bit, and it has actually said that love is God. And when you say that love is God, it really means that when your definition of love is who God is, Right? So when we have that perspective of love being God, we've actually twisted it because love then gets to define God. The scripture actually says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8. I could sing the song, but you don't want me to. You know? <laughs> but, but, love, but it says God is love. That means God gets to define what love is. Right? And he did that through so many different scriptures. Like I said, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I will say this. He did it through his life. If we look at his life, you're going to find love, right? But then it also has in 1 Corinthians, and it's patient and it's kind, right? It's not boastful. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Like there are so many things, and all of those are choices. I choose to be patient. I choose to be kind, Right? I choose to rejoice in righteousness, but not in unrighteousness. I choose to keep my heart open to people. I choose to respond in ways. Love is a choice, right? It's not just something that ebbs and flows and picks us up as a force and drops us off in another planet and says, now you're going to love this person. That's not what it is, and we have to understand that in the culture. We have to understand that God gets to define, because we live in a different kingdom. That kingdom is over here, the world. This is the world side. It's not going to define love like God does because they don't know God. They don't have the aspect. They don't understand him, right? And our job is to bridge the gap and to pull people over to this side where we go, God is love, and he defines what that looks like. He defines it for you. But here's the other part of that. When you're born in any way of sin, whatever that looks like, you're trapped, right? That's what the Bible says. It says that we were, we were literally enslaved to sin. But just like love gets to be defined differently in the kingdom than it does in the world, the same way we get to define freedom. Like we get to see freedom because what happens is there's this transaction between this side and this side that happens, and it's death, right? When we don't know Jesus and we accept him into our heart, there's a transaction that happens and we die, right? We died 
And then we came to live again in Christ, right? That transaction of death did something. And we've been talking about that for months. Like just, I mean, honestly, if you listen to most of our sermons in the last year, we talk a lot about the fact that in Christ, there's something new. Like we have, we were just talking about this all sufficiency of the cross and what the cross touches, right? And we've talked about the fact that we have the ability to live in freedom. But here's the thing that I loved about what I was reading this morning. Um, I'm going to break all the rules of teaching, okay? You're only supposed to give the congregation like three or four verses. Sean and I always break it. Today I'm going to demolish it. I'm so sorry. Kind of. I'm kind of sorry. Not enough to repent and not do it. But enough to tell you to hold on and buckle up. Okay? All right, so we're going to read Romans 8, not the whole chapter. See, I'm not going to kill you that much. But I am going to read quite a bit of it. But we're going to do it in little, in little sections, all right? The first part that you need to know is that Romans, all of Romans, read it. If you don't understand it, Sean did a, a verse-by-verse, like, expository, I believe is the tra- proper term, teaching on Romans, like taking you through the entire book, chapter by chapter. Find that in his podcast and go through it because Romans is so incredibly rich with great, it's just great, like it's incredible. Um, Chapters six through eight really just talk about living free from sin and says, you know, like if you've died with Christ, you no longer are a sinner, right? So there's all these different scripture verses. Don't cheat people. Turn that off. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm not even starting there. (laughs) All right. So we're going to start off with Romans eight, one through four. Four, and it's not listed, okay? You don't get to cheat by reading it. Just listen to me if you don't have your Bible up. I am reading in the New, New American Standard Version if you guys are pulling up your phones. By the way, that's just the, that's the staple that we preach from. Anything else that we preach from, if it's not New American Standard, we usually try to list it so that you know that it's a different version. Okay, so Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ Jesus, that means we're over here on the kingdom side. There's no longer any condemnation, okay? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering or as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, so this is saying Jesus came, and with his death, burial, and resurrection, he died, and he came back alive so that we could also die to sin and be set free and move from the law of sin and death and into, what does it say? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But there has to be that transaction. There has to be the atoning blood of Jesus dripping off of your body for you to step over into the life of Christ. Okay? Does that make sense so far? Okay, let's keep going. Now you can pop up the Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who are walking according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are walking according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, 
for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now we're going to stop here. I'm going to break it down a little bit for you, okay? Because sometimes lots of words just become lots of words and we tune out. Here's the thing. Our culture has mixed love with feelings, and they think it's the same thing, which is why they believe that love is a feeling and it can just move you all over the place, right? But all of us at least know somebody who is being pulled emotionally by people to relationships that are unhealthy or by, by themselves. Like their, their hearts are being pulled, right? And that doesn't just happen with relationships. It also happens with all kinds of sins, right? Now, now think about this. So statistically speaking, I think the statistic was about 80% of men are addicted to pornography, even in the church. 80%. I think 70% of pastors was the, was the, um, the actual percentage that came out. 70% of pastors are addicted to pornography, right? They're being pulled by something, right? Maybe it's some other addiction, Maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's lying, maybe it's something else, but it's an impulse in them that drives them to need to do something. Any of you guys who have come out of an, addic- uh, an addiction of any kind knows that pull. You know that feeling that just says, man, I have to have this, and everything in you begins to just scream. And sometimes when it's so bad, it takes over your mind, and you just feel helpless all the time, right? That is what a lot of people feel even when they're being pulled into relationships. People who have, it's, the technical term is called trauma bonding. Have you guys, any of you heard of that term? Trauma bonding, let me read the definition of that because this was fascinating. This was from Psychology Today. It says, trauma bonding lives in the nervous system. The brain associa- associations, the brain makes associations between love and abuse or neglect. Trauma bonding is a hormonal attachment created by repeated abuse um, sprinkled with being saved every now and then. Trauma bonding in adulthood can stem from childhood trauma. So when you are constantly being pulled into bad relationships, that pulling isn't love. That pulling is often trauma bonding. Everything in you screams to go towards this person because that person is actually fulfilling a deficit that you had. Does that make sense? So so here's the other thing. They've recently come up with a study, and I don't have all the, the details of the study, but it talks about how trauma embeds into our DNA. So trauma embeds into our DNA, and then we actually find ourselves being kind of... Um, positioned in our life to create trauma or to step into trauma. So it's so embedded in our DNA. First of all, it passes from generation to generation is what they're learning because it's part of our DNA. So as we have children, our children are being born with the DNA of trauma. And then they create, like their lives begin to create trauma, right? And it's just this generational curse that pops down and down and down, right? That sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Like, oh my gosh, we've been born most of us, I mean, most of us have been born with trauma in our DNA, right? And then we have children, and then they have it, and we don't understand why. They grow up, and they always marry the wrong people, and they always have these problems, and they have all these substance abuses, and they have all this stuff, right? And we just find ourselves going, God, what, what is going on? 
But here's the thing. Part of my testimony starts long before I was born. And my dad was violently abused by both of his parents, who were violently abused by both of their parents. My, my grandparents were both alcoholics and violent, like very, very violent. And um, some of the worst stories I've ever heard have come from his side of the family, and I've done a lot of counseling with people. And um, his parents were clearly deeply abused because they perpetuated the cycle, right? And my dad, my dad made a decision before he knew Christ to not live like that, and he separated himself from the family, and he moved away, still stuck with family. He actually ran away in the eighth grade and hid from his mother for quite some time. So he was created, like in his DNA has runs trauma, right? And he began to shift out of that culture and to move into one where he was like, when I get married, so he married my mom right out of high school in 1969, and he was like, we're going to do something different. We're going we're gonna to live different. We're not going to be like my family. And within three months, he gets drafted and sent to Vietnam where he was front lines watching people get exploded, okay? So you talk about trauma. He grew up in trauma, escaped it for a short season, and stepped right into one of the worst traumas you can ever experience, all right? He comes home, has all the PTSD, struggles with all that stuff, and then something miraculous happens. He meets Jesus, and he crosses the line, right? And he moved from the kingdom where DNA runs his life and it, and it controls his world, and he steps into a new birth. He died, and the man who rose out of that grave had different DNA. It was broken off. His trauma was, began to be healed. I can't imagine my dad being the man that I hear stories about because the person who stands before me is one of the kindest, sweetest men. I don't know if sweet's the right word, honorary and... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's still a force to be reckoned with. He's still, in, you know, intense at times. But he loves, like, Jesus so well. He loves so incredibly well. And I never, ever, ever, I never saw his trauma, not from the war, not from his childhood, ever come out on us. Not once. I have never seen my dad angry and lose control of himself. I've never heard him cuss, even when he's literally gashed his hand in a horrible place, it, like burned himself terribly, like he has been in serious pain, and he's never even uttered a word that was, that was bad. Like, seriously, my dad is amazing, and the healing and the transformation that he's had set me up, right? Because then I'm looking for somebody who carries the character that my dad carried, right? Because I saw something in him that said he didn't stay here. He, he was transformed when he knew Jesus. He was transformed, right? And none of us girls have any of those trauma triggers. All of us have been able, my parents have been married for over 50 years. I believe it'll, I think it's 53 years. 
and well, they got married in 69, so you guys do the math, I don't do it. Um, you know, and, and all of us, my, my sisters and I, we all grew up, we all got married to Christian men who love the Lord, not just people who go to church on Sunday, but they love the Lord, and all of us have had, like, no symptoms of the trauma that should be running through our DNA. Why is that? Well, because he died. He died with Christ. And when he was raised up to newness of life, something happened at the core of him. The Bible says that you're transfigured. It means you've become a new creation, right? And so when you die, something new comes up. So when you're born with something that's sin, whatever that looks like, you're born into sin, we all are. When you die in Christ, you come up, you have the choice because you've been set free from sin, you now have the choice to step into life with Christ. It's for freedom that we were set free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery, right? The yoke, the thing that comes around our neck and yanks us and moves us wherever it wants us. We've been set free in Christ. So I'm talking to Christians today, no matter what you're struggling with, okay? Because we struggle with stuff. Okay, let's be honest. We all struggle with stuff. We're all in this process of reconciliation. Sean and I included, we are not on a podium because we're perfect. Okay, we're here because we're called and we're trying to live as transparent of lives before you were not perfect. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling just like each of you are called to do. We repent regularly. We have to tell the Lord, hey, we missed you on that. Okay, like we do this on a regular basis. But here's the thing. When we died with Christ, everything that we were born with died with him and was buried with him, okay? And this is what I love about Romans 8, 5 through 8. This is what God whispered to me this morning and why I had to kind of rewrite stuff. The, don't, don't pull it up yet, Grace Ann, so just hang with me. I'm gonna, we're going to actually talk about one three-letter word in Romans 8 because, because that one three-letter word is critical for understanding what it is that we're talking about, the freedom that you actually have to offer, okay? I'm going to read it again, just a couple of the verses, and then we're going to talk about this, okay? Romans 8, 5 says, for those who are walking according to the flesh, okay, their body, like their, their physical body and their emotions, okay? So that's what it's talking about when it talks about the flesh. They set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are walking according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, okay, you have two different camps, right? If you're walking according to the flesh, your mind is set on the things of the flesh, okay? Which just means that if I'm being, like, whatever my body tells me, what my feelings are telling me I need to do, I'm obeying them. I'm a slave to my emotions and I'm a slave to the way I feel and I'm obeying what my body and my flesh are telling me to do. Okay, that's what it's saying. But the mind set on the spirit, what's it say? Is life and peace. So my mindset fixed on Holy Spirit brings life and peace to me. Okay, I'm being governed by life and peace, right? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, so I'm being governed by peace. I'm being governed by abundant life, all right? So here's the three-letter word that you need to know. This is the word set. And look at its definition. This is so fun. Here we go. 
to set their minds, it means to entertain sentiments or inclinations, to be mentally disposed in a certain direction, to, quote, set your affection on. And look at the bottom part. It says inclination means a person's natural tendency or urge to feel or act in a particular way. When we hear that we are born into sin, our natural inclination is to act in the way that we have been, that we feel, right? So if we are, because we are talking about LGBTQIA, when they are born and they feel this certain way, their natural inclination is to follow their feelings and to say, this is me, this is who I am, this is me. Like you can't separate this from me because it's so me. Because my natural inclination is to walk according to the way that I feel, right? So what does the Bible say about that? When we walk according to how we feel, like, do you guys see how this, how this matters? Like the word set, it doesn't just mean to put your mind on it. It actually means this is your life. This is how you live. This is how you believe. This is, these are your opinions. Everything in you is controlled by what your mind is set on. And if it's set on living according to my own feelings, right? Idolatry, because it's really just me serving myself, right? Then I'm going to walk into death, right? And then it starts start talking about, but you can set your mind, as a Christian, you can actually set your mind on the spirit. All of your, go back to that, that definition, please. You entertain the sentiments or the inclinations of the spirit. What does that mean? Well, the natural, the natural tendencies that you begin to feel and act out are according to the spirit. You mean I have the freedom to actually walk in what God wants me to walk and to feel like he wants me to feel? Yes, because that's how I set my mind on it. Look, to be mentally disposed in a certain direction, I get to actually like have my mind naturally become Christ-like and Christ-centered when I choose to set my mind on Christ, right? I set my affections on Holy Spirit and on, on the Lord, and I begin to walk in his ways with freedom because my mind is set on him, and it's guiding me, and it's directing me, and there's freedom here. Do you guys see how powerful that word is? Because it, it's literally showing the, the rip of the kingdoms. And it's saying that as a Christian, if you say that you're a Christian and you continue to live with your mindset on the flesh, we're going to talk about that one in just a second, it's not possible. Right? The world lives with their mindset on the flesh and they are run by the flesh because that's what they have. They have nothing else. They are bound into sin. They are being controlled and they're yoked to it and they don't have a choice. They're just being yanked around. But we've died and now we get to choose to live in the spirit. Okay? Romans, we're going to keep reading, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I'm going to pause there for a second. That means... If you find that you can't walk in the Spirit, you need to determine whether or not you actually have the Spirit of God in you. If you are bound in sin and you cannot get free no matter what you've done, do you know him? Have you really died? Or have you just acknowledged that he's God, but you haven't surrendered your life to him? 
you haven't actually made him Lord and master over us, right? Chapter, verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Guys, do you hear that incredible verse? It literally says that the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead comes and lives inside of us at our, at our resurrection. Like we died with Christ and we were buried with him and we were raised again into a new life. And the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead literally comes and he dwells inside of you. How could you ever be stuck in sin? You have God living inside of you, giving you new life, literally breathing his grace on you to enable you to walk in the right ways of God, right? Like how could we ever be stuck continuing to feed self unless we just choose to ignore the authority of God, right? And if we choose to continue to live in our own ways, then we have denied who God is and we don't know him. This is a really strong word, but it's important that we understand that love is a choice and that with the freedom of, that death brings us, we actually get to come alive, right? And I'll get to why it's all tied in, but we have to finish this up because it's such a great scripture verse. Romans 12, 8, um, I'm sorry, 8, 12 through 14 now. We're going to finish this up. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, you who are being, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we are under obligation not to live according to the flesh. The word obligation means it's no longer an owner over us. Do you understand that? Sin is no longer an owner over us. We are no longer indebted to live in sin. We are no longer bound and yoked to sin because he's no longer an owner of us. Right? There's another scripture in 1 Corinthians that actually talks about the fact that who owns us. What's it say? Come on, stick with me, guys. <laughs> it says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own because you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Here's the thing. What's absolutely beautiful is you have Jesus talking about like the commandment, right? It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then you see this scripture, and it says, and your body isn't even your own either, right? Now serve God with your body. So your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your body. What's left? Did he miss anything? Is there any part of us that aren't, isn't subject to God? who isn't owned by him because we died and we came in under him, right? But here's, he's so good. He's so good because he's, because he set us free. We're no longer being yoked and yanked around. He actually set us free to not be controlled, which is why we also still have the power to sin, right? Because once we've been set free, we actually have freedom. It's a liberty, 
We are in this place where we have the freedom to do now what we want. We can either choose to go right back into a lifestyle of sin, which will bind us back in and enslave us again. And I think it's uh, Hebrews 12, um, 11 or 12 has some really scary things to say about that, right? Or we choose to submit our life to the Spirit and become free, right? It doesn't say you're instantly free. What it does say is, in verse 13, it says, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We put to death. Paul says he dies daily, right? Like, he doesn't now die daily because he already died. But in the, when he was alive, he said he died daily because what he was saying was that every time sin tried to come up, he would remember that he died with Christ. And he chose to continue to submit himself under the lordship of Christ and to say, if you say it's sin, then I say it's sin and I won't walk in it. What does that have to do with our feelings? though. We're drawn to these things naturally, right? So there's something in us, some chemical dependence in us that literally pulls us back into sin. What do we do about that? We submit it into death over and over and over again until it's broken, right? For any of us who have walked out of any sort of sin in our life, we know that it's not usually an instant. Sometimes it is. I mean, there's so many people who I know who've been just instantly set free of drug addiction, instantly set free of alcoholism, instantly set free of depression. Like, I've, I have a good friend who, who, has been, who has been set free from depression, like, just instantly. You know, like, so beautiful. But then they also have to continue to submit their life to the Lord and walk in the Spirit. Because there's a consistency that happens that builds with the, with the Lord because otherwise we're being pulled back into the old lifestyle, right? So we have to learn to walk. But here's the thing. We're talking about what does it look like with, with LGBTQ, with love, with this lie that the culture says we are led by our feelings and we must be led by our feelings or we're not actually becoming who we are, Right? I'm trying to kind of pull these two pictures in together, but here's the thing. Over here, they are acting out who they believe they are, who they have been born to be. Not who God saw them to be or who he's created them to be, but all of their DNA and all of their lifestyle, because we are attracted to, right, like the way that our culture has raised us. So oftentimes women are attracted to men who resemble their husbands, good or bad, fathers. I said that wrong. Say that again. What did I say? Oh, okay. So, so women are attracted to who they're like, they're, they're attracted to their husbands and he often resembles their father. Does that make sense? Okay. I think that was right. And women are the same way, right? So, so we are often, because we are raised, we're, or we're opposite. Some of us so despised who our fathers were as a woman that we actually went for the opposite, but our life, our culture, our young years growing up actually creates in us a leaning, right? And we lean towards ways either against who they were or f- towards who they were, sometimes towards who they were, even if it was horrible, and sometimes against who they were, and we swing to the other side, right? Like, we are naturally kind of prone to this over here, and then we die, And like my dad, your DNA gets broken and it gets rewritten. 
And part of that then is the everyday walking of living in a relationship that is so fixed on Jesus. We know the word of God so well that as we are sitting there and going, I am feeling drawn to this, like I'm feeling drawn to this person, this, this thing, and I know this thing is not right for me. I go, Jesus, I'm gonna submit this at your Lord, like at your feet. You are Lord of my life, show me what to do. Everything in me screams to go back over there, but that's death, and I died to that, so what do you want me to do? I, was, um, I got to go to the hospital yesterday and um, chat with and pray with um, a lady, and I had so much fun because as we were talking, like, Scripture was just, like, rolling off of her mouth, like, and it was so incredibly beautiful because the areas that she was struggling in, she had the Scripture of the, from the Lord to be able to stand on them. So she was like, I'm struggling with this, but this is what the Bible says. I'm struggling with this, but this is what the Word of God says. And it was so beautiful. Like, she didn't need to go, oh, let me look at my Bible and find it. She had it just in her, right? And that's how you stay in the spirit. You know, it doesn't mean that her life's perfect. It just means that she, she's built a foundation of studying the word and being in the spirit that she's then able to step up on it and to go, I know that I'm submitted and I'm going to stay in the presence of God. I'm going to stay in the spirit and I'm going to walk in this way. I'm going to renew my mind and walk into freedom, right? Like that's what it looks like. So when, when we take, when we take people outside the church who don't know the Lord and us telling them, you weren't born like that. You weren't born into this. What we're doing is we're denying everything that they feel and their feelings are important, I'm not saying that we accept all their feelings and say, oh yes, everything that you feel should be valid. But what I am saying is, when I'm sharing something that's deep in my heart that I feel very personal, I don't need somebody telling me, you're wrong, you stink, everything about you is horrible. Right? I need somebody who can understand me and who can say, I understand the fight that you're in and there's a better way. There's hope. There's hope here. And what's holding you back right now, what you feel afraid of, God wants to set you free in. I don't care what it is, guys. I don't care what it is. Because there's probably not a question that we haven't like, seen somebody's testimony over, you know, of, of, of people who have been set free of so many different things. A lot of you guys here in this room, set free from things that pe- the world and even Science says you're not physically able. You can't physically get set free from meth instantly, according to science, right? It's a chemical dependence that literally rewrites the wiring in your brain, and it changes your body to actually need it. So for somebody to come up and die in Christ and get resurrected into a new life and to be completely severed from all of that addiction, something was happening inside of their wiring. And we've seen it over and over and over again. It it can happen with every single thing. But we can't buy into the lie that the culture is right about everything. Oh, trauma's in your DNA. Now you're just going to be stuck for the rest of your life living in all of these horrible patterns. No, there's hope in Christ. I've seen people set free from all of those patterns. You know, oh, this is just the way you live, so now you're going to have to just continue to live like this for the rest of your life. No, I've seen people set free. Right? I've been set free 
My husband's been set free. My children have been set free. I've watched my parents get set free, right? I know, like, it's not just people I've observed that I don't know that I've seen on TikTok, you know, like where they do a little video where they're like, hey, look at me, now I'm a different person. No, I've literally known people. Like, they're my friends. They're some of you, right? And so we, we move into this place of hope. You, these people, we die in Christ and we get born again and everything in us is a new creation and that's why we have the authority to not continue to follow after our flesh, right? When we're talking to the world, we need to understand they don't understand that. They can't fathom it. It's foolishness to them. So our goal isn't to set them free from homosexuality. It's to set them free in Christ. God will work the rest of it out, right? We set them free into Christ, and then we sit there and we go, we go, okay, follow Jesus. What's the Spirit saying to you? What's the Spirit saying to you? What's the Spirit saying to you? Are you following him? Are you listening to him? Guys, this is how we work with people, all of them, right? Nobody got saved and completely healed, sanctified, delivered, and 100% perfected the moment that they got saved. There was a process, right, of getting set free day by day. We have to have that process here with everybody who walks through our doors. And that just means we keep pulling them back to the cross and we say, you died with Christ, you're a new creation. This is your identity now. And you have the authority and the power to walk in a new way in the spirit every single moment of every single day. Does that make sense? I I feel like I was a little bit everywhere, but... Okay. Let's, let's just take a minute and just pray. Jesus, we just thank you that you have paid the price for us. God, that your death, burial, and resurrection didn't just move us into heaven, God, but you literally changed us, completely metamorphosized us, if that's the right word, into a new person, a new creation. You've given me the Holy Spirit who indwells inside of me and who gives me the grace to be able to walk in new ways. You teach me how to walk in righteousness. Jesus, you've given me the Holy Spirit who I can just walk with every single moment of every single day. You never leave me. You never forsake me. You're right here with me, Jesus. I always have access to you. I am not a slave to any force but I make myself a bondservant to you, God. I choose to put myself in under your lordship and to say, you are my Lord, my master, the one who I listen to, the one who I obey. Even when everything in my flesh screams for something different, Jesus, I want you, and I want to know you, and I want to see people set free with you, and I want to be set free myself. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy that we get to fall into every day, for your, for your grace that we get to sink deep into. Help us to know how to navigate this culture, Jesus, and how through, through love be able to pull people into knowing you so that you can set them free and you can work out all their stuff, God. Thank you that you don't give me the ministry of having to fix everybody, make them clean and perfect, but you've given me the ministry of reconciliation where I don't count their trespasses against them. I just bring them to the feet of the cross. You do the rest, Jesus. 
Help us to love like you love. Thank you that you define it. You make it clear to us what love looks like. And then you empower us to step into it with you. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.